So hello everyone, uh, I am ED's content editor Matt Mace and welcome back to what is a rather special edition of ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Um, for those that have come directly to this episode, we do actually have one from day one up online on the ED website to listen to right now. Obviously, please don't leave to go listen to that. Stay for this one. But afterwards, go find that one out. That was on the keynote theatre all around business leadership in a post-CSR era. For day two, we are back here for the innovation theatre. Um, and we're going to be focusing on how to unlock innovation across sustainability and energy. Before we do get on with the session, I do have to go through the uh, formularities. The fact that this um, episode will be available to listen to via the ED website, via iTunes, and of course via Spotify. Um, and today's episode is being conducted in front of a live theatre for those that are listening at home. Uh, we're back at the NEC in Birmingham. Um, and today's episode is brought to you in association with Mighty Energy. As the way that companies use and interact with energy, utilities and assets change, Mighty Energy is uniquely positioned to help your business champion technology and innovation to deliver low-cost, low-carbon solutions. And more uh, information on that can be found at the mightyenergy.com website. And we do have a representative from Mighty Energy on the panel today. Um, I was going to do these kind of really drawn-out introductions for all of our uh, panel members today, but in a podcast format, that doesn't really work if we're just listening to my voice. So instead, I'm going to get you um, all to kind of introduce yourself, uh, a bit about the company you work for and your job remit, and why um, you're so uniquely positioned to be able to talk about innovation today. So if we start from my right. Hi, I'm Catherine Teague. I'm the head of advocacy for AB Sugar. We're one of the world's largest sugar businesses. Um, we're on three continents uh, with many different kinds of operation, not least factories, but also um, downstream as well. Um, I suppose we're uniquely placed to talk about innovation today because we're now looking end-to-end -end in our supply chain and where we can innovate from the seed through to the lorries leaving us to go to our customers and consumers and thinking about how we deliver and meet our 2030 commitments, which we launched in 2018 under our Global Mind Local Champions Sustainability Framework. And uh, to Catherine's right. Hi, I'm Jack. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Yellow Octopus Fashion. Not really sure why we've been invited. Probably something to do with the fact that we won uh, Circular Innovation of the Year uh, of this EDI Awards last February. Yeah, February, yeah. Uh, so we are relatively small fish in the pond here. Uh, but we are disruptors. We come up with uh, innovative solutions and we plug in technology and sustainability together. Uh, to come up with a scalable commercial sustainability solutions because I have a confession to make I actually don't believe in sustainability I only believe in commercial models around sustainability Hi, I'm uh, MD of Mighty Energy um, so we're a uh, energy utilities sustainability solutions business um, reason, reason I think we've got some very good input today is because we spend a lot of time with our customers understanding their, their needs um, moving forward around both energy usage and sustainability, two very key areas within, that are sitting within the boardroom at the moment. And um, we can see a lot of the challenges, but also help, the, uh, help them get over the hurdles that, uh, that are presented to them. And last but by no means least. I'm Matt Prescott, so I run an initiative at Heathrow called the Heathrow Centre of Excellence for Sustainability. Um, this was an initiative that was born out of our strategic plan for sustainable growth called Heathrow 2.0. Um, and uh, we were 
delighted uh, earlier this year to win uh, ED's Sustainable Business of the Year, um, uh, given the, the de depth and breadth of that plan. Uh, and innovation is crucial to us because, uh, obviously, in the aviation sector, there's a huge number of challenges to face, um, and we need collaboration and innovation to solve many of those. Great stuff. So what we have here is quite a spectrum across different areas of sustainability, whether that's um, energy, whether that's focusing on natural resources like water, or whether it's um, not, sustain <coughs> not sustainability, as you say, Jack, but a commercial solution that kind of has sustainability as its main purpose, in that case, focus on resource efficiency in the fashion sector. And while I want to get on to how we can unlock innovation across businesses, I think it's probably just worth setting the scene a little bit as to why innovation is so needed. Um, we're, at a, we're at a stage right now where sustainability is no longer a nice to have. It's seen as kind of business critical. It's seen as part of success to any kind of business with a long-term strategy. Yet there's a lot of barriers around global pressures, whether that's water scarcity, whether that's uh, energy efficiency or climate change or, in, or resource efficiency that need to be addressed. Um, we are essentially in an area where we realize that business as usual just won't work anymore. Why, um, and, and innovation has a role to play, but how does a company, um, especially one Catherine as big as AB Sugar, for example, how does a company that big even begin to look at innovation and say, we know we need to change something, but how? Okay, so I think it's worth just saying that I don't think a company um, that operates in many of the locations we operate could not have been innovative to this point. I think what the conversation today is about is how you disrupt going forward and how you do it differently. We as a business, um, we make sugar as our primary um, ingredient and over the last 20 years we've been innovating around um, our factories so that we're always thinking sugar and something else. How can we make something also out of the process? So whether that's energy that goes to people's homes here in the UK or whether that's co-products that are useful to other commercial um, providers and partners. And, it, and we've always been in that space of thinking, so what's next? I think the difference is that we're, we see today is, especially with the SDGs and the greater pressure on finite resources is, how can we look end-to-end -end in our supply chain? So from the seed we put in the ground or the seed cane in the, with sugar cane, all the way through to the lorry that drives away. What other innovations can we make and who do we partner with to make those innovations? Because we can't do it on our own any longer. So I think the thing for us is it comes from we've always had a drumbeat. But now we're at a point where business as usual really needs to change and we need to accelerate that process. And we need to consider where that acceleration comes from. So part of why we launched our 2030 commitments was to give focus to where we're going to be operating and working more to kind of drive those changes. And energy and water are probably the two big commitments we've made about reducing our overall end-to-end -end supply chain footprint by 30% by 2030. That isn't going to be achieved by us doing it on our own. We need others to help us and we need new technologies, but we need more than that. We need ways of implementing those and working with our whole supply chain actually achieve those changes. And, and Jack, how, how did your company kind of come into existence? Was it this a gap in the market you spotted or was it kind of the realization that um, the fashion sector that you operate in is kind of a bit broken right now in, in relation to resources and you saw an opportunity to create a competitive edge there? So I actually started the company in 2006, long before sustainability has become a 
buzzword and for me sustainability is something which if, if you would use a bullshit barometer on a sustainability word that would be flashing red all the time because people are abusing this word so on so many occasions and there are two reasons why people are getting into sustainability from my experience of dealing with uh, big fashion companies is either opportunity so what can I gain from it mm-hmm. or is it their fear how what can I lose if I don't get into it? And that's okay. I think we have to be very honest and uh, establish reasons why big organizations within the fashion sector are going into sustainability. Uh, these are the reasons for us. We've uh, reinvented ourselves because we were working with end-of-use products in the fashion industry for, like I said, almost 14 years now. But uh, for the last three years, we've really implemented the technology to help us uh, and build the business models which are from day one designed to be scalable because you can come up with a lot of business models which have a sustainable angle but then if you take them to the big organizations and they want to scale it either internationally or across the organization it's not so easy and the number of layers you have to go through the big organization which employs 1,000 plus people is amazing. So basically you are pitching the same thing five times to different people and half of them have no clue. So it's, it's a bit of a frustration as well, but I would say for us, uh, we've discovered that innovation can speed up the implementation of sustainability in a massive way and technology helps a lot. Uh, and that's really it. So we apart from our like brick and mortar business which is in logistics and processing stocks and end of use stocks for fashion we come up with regain up which is a that's what we've been awarded for the, during the uh, eddie ceremony that's a take back digital take back program so you can download the regain app and turn unwanted clothes into discount coupons by doing so, we divert clothes from going to landfill because at the moment, 50 trailers of clothes goes to landfill every single day in the UK alone. So we are sitting here over two days of this conference, 100 trailers will go to landfill. That's the fact. So it's a scary number. And actually, fashion industry is the second largest polluter uh, across all the industries, which very few people realize as well. And um, Matt, I would like to bring you into the conversation now. Um, we talked about fashion being a big polluter. Um, Aviation and certainly Heathrow Airport right now are perhaps um, picking up some rather negative headlines, perhaps for wrong reasons around uh, the runway. Um, but uh, a very detailed plan is in place uh, from Heathrow to, to be able to kind of expand in a carbon neutral way. And the center of excellence is kind of at the heart of, of that as well. It's perhaps an area that perhaps the wider public aren't quite uh, too aware of. Uh, when you talk about Heathrow and you talk about climate impacts, the runway becomes a focal point. But the center of excellence uh, seems to be um, Heathrow's response to that and their idea of unlocking innovation at scale. So if you could perhaps shed a bit of insight as to um, the, the need for that, certainly in the aviation sector and what Heathrow is really trying to achieve. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, so um, c- clearly aviation is one of the hard to, to abate sectors um, and the technology transformation that is ahead of us in terms of the aircraft themselves. Still, by all experts' accounts, at least 10 years away. So that's a process that's in, 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 in motion. 
Uh, and we're watching that very closely. And, and the airport's been able to put incentives in place around cleaner, quieter aircraft and so forth and use the levers that it does have. Uh, in the meantime, we need to prepare for a future uh, in which air travel is, is radically lower uh, carbon emissions. So that means we need to be asking questions which aren't really available in the market at the moment. So we need to um, incentivize uh, ideas, uh, particularly from uh, the entrepreneurial community, from the academic community, which are maybe at perhaps earlier technology readiness levels, but which by intervening in the right way at the right time, we can bring some of these things through and test them at the airport. So a good example would be um, our Sustainable Innovation Prize, which as it happens, uh, the deadline is uh, 11.59 uh, this, this evening. So uh, don't encourage late working, but 300 words and um, please do get your applications in. We're looking for things such as carbon capture and use. Um, so we see opportunities in areas uh, such as with expansion, uh, you're talking about huge amounts of concrete. Can we innovate in favor of lower carbon concrete? Um, we're asking those questions now, we're looking at the marketplace now, and we're encouraging research and innovation in that space. And of course, the wider impact, if we are able to identify solutions which decarbonize that aspect of uh, the expansion program, um, has uh, repercussions potentially very widespread across the world. Um, so we see opportunities to take carbon out of the system, so systems thinking is crucial. Um, but we're also really excited to engage people in uh, a, a better form of future transport. So it's about um, taking people with us, getting the excitement about the potential and channeling the investment through um, new, um, new shiny new innovations, frankly, which always attract attention because um, technology is, is, is de facto an exciting space to be. And so there's a technology-led um, uh, revolution in our sector that's coming, uh, and we want to be um, playing our role in facilitating and accelerating that. And, and speaking of um, technology-led revolutions in sectors, the energy sector, uh, Pete, is um, undergoing one as we speak pretty much, the, the 4Ds, whether that's democratization, digitalization, um, a really kind of changing how businesses can interact with energy. So um, at Martin, you must be seeing a lot of exciting new things come to market, but you also must have to wade through um, and give a lot of advice to companies um, to say, this type of innovation isn't quite ready yet. The, the sector must be um, quite interesting to get to grips with right now. Yeah, I think, it's, um, I think you're absolutely right. There's an overriding energy strategy that uh, people have forgotten. It's about you know, looking at assets, how assets can be used, how you can reduce the amount of load on assets, when you can use them through the course of the day, flexibility. Lots of presentations going on around about flexibility, etc. Um, you know, sometimes it's not as simple as it sounds, and it's about making sure the business case is right for the organisation. Um, there are plenty of business cases out there that are gathering dust, that um, haven't got the right projections on or they're just not pitched at the, right, at the right level. So what are you trying to achieve? Is it a cost reduction? Is it a resilience reduction? Or is it something that's got sustainability associated to it? Maybe it's one of all, all, all three of those. They need a lot of thinking and also a lot of engagement by the leadership. I'm glad you mentioned the business case because I think that's where I want to take this discussion. I want to essentially create this hypothetical company that's not necessarily operating in a, in a sector, but uh, get your understanding as to how innovation can come from this concept to actually being uh, a thing that the, biz the business prides itself on, being able to be innovative, being able to roll out solutions. And so I want to start with 
get into grips with how innovation becomes reality within a business? What kind of conversations does a sustainability professional have to have um, with other areas of the business to, to unlock opportunities, to trial and scale and see what works and maybe see what, what doesn't? So I don't know if anyone has any thoughts as to, from their own learnings as to how innovation became a big part of their business strategy. I think, Catherine, maybe that's one for you. Yeah, so I think the first thing to say is it's not about one department. There has to be a ambition from your board and your CEO, but it's not about one department delivering innovation. You have to, to a certain extent, weave it throughout the whole business. Also, there has to be an understanding of what your strategy is and where you're trying to get to, so that you're really clear about where to spend your time and maybe where not to spend your time at that point. And I think as sustainability uh, colleagues, we're there to support as well as try and think about some of the other parts that sometimes when our colleagues in operations or procurement or um, at the factories looking at engineering, they're very focused on efficiency, on being more competitive, on thinking about new technology and how to get it in place. But there's also the wider piece as well, which is, so what are those other impacts we could potentially have? And how can we look at reducing things? N not everything we do is innovative. I just want to, to, to point out that innovation is um, a part of what we do, but I think there's things around continuous improvement, continually pushing performance to its maximum, and thinking about realigning and alignment for the long term. So th all those are mechanisms that you can use within a business to actually drive change. But just going back to innovation, um, in our businesses at the moment, we have um, put together these quite ambitious commitments and people are thinking about where do we go next? So what new technologies could we use? And that's a conversation across lots of groups. It's not just one person or one division saying, we're gonna drive this forward. Um, it's about saying, so how can we get that technology bought in if we don't already have it? And if we do, you know, how do we then take it to the next level? I think the other thing that about innovation is, businesses like ours have been going a really long time, over 100 years, so, um, we don't always know the unknowns that we might be now facing. And I suppose where we're getting to is that innovation is not something that's just inside your business. You need to look outside and you need to have the ambition and your colleagues from top to bottom and bottom to top need to want to look outside. So it's about bringing the outside in. And one of the ways we're looking at doing that at the moment is um, through a new challenge that we have actually put forward, which is to say, we know that water is very, very valuable in an agricultural supply chain, which we're part of. And 69% of the world's water is abstracted for food and for agriculture. So we know that within that, there are losses in the supply chain. And so we have launched the Innovate Irrigation Challenge to say, we are making losses in our supply chain, but we know others are as well. So how can we make changes and differences and I suppose it's a bit like a hackathon and it will run for 48 hours but we've got a prize it's 10,000 pounds you know get, send us your ideas we're desperately in need of them we know that this is a challenge we face across all our supply chain so I think that's where also innovation is going but it's having the ambition to do that and be confident that you're willing to think about things differently so I think businesses are changing and we're at a really good place now um, in our own businesses where we're thinking about innovation, but we're also thinking about all of those parts of it and all the different things we can do. Jack, you mentioned earlier about sustainability can be driven either 
by it being seen as an opportunity or by it being kind of driven out a bit of fear being left behind. Um, and Catherine's just mentioned that the need to work outside your own four walls and, and reach out to collaborate. I'm guessing uh, your company is essentially doing that with a lot of uh, end user fashion businesses right now. But in terms of innovation as a concept, it doesn't necessarily have to be sustainable. So how, how are you presenting um, your offer, your solution, in terms of a way that will capture the interests of a, of a board for a big fashion? Is it, is it the fact that it's financial savings or is it kind of actually this is good for the planet, it kind of aligns with your purpose? Is it a bit of both? So first, what we have to establish is that innovation or technology is only a tool. It's a tool to solve business cases and business problems. You know, there's no point of being innovating and come up with a business model, new business model which is not superior to the old one. What would be the point of implementing? So, yes, it has to be a mixture of everything. Uh, economy is always the convincing factor. Uh, saving the planet, not so much. Both for the companies and for the consumers. However, they say something different in the service. Uh, eventually, the idea of hug the tree or save the planet doesn't go well with the consumers. Uh, at the end of the day, it's commercial decisions which are made. And I have a, like a real life uh, examples of people within the fashion who tried sustainability materials and they failed with, uh, with, with others. But uh, I would say the, the, the major thing is commercial aspect of sustainability and the scalability of it. That's, that's, the, that's the main thing and getting to the right people within the organizations because like you mentioned, it can be stacked and the best way is always to start either with the people who are like driving the change within the organization because majority of the people within the organizations are in market general are followers. There is this first people who are getting something done, uh, the people who eventually bring traffic. So every time we sign a big brand, there's like 10 or 15 smaller brands joining us. Not because we've managed to convince them, because they just follow the big brands. So eventually it's like also making sh understanding who the market leaders are and trying to convince them because it speeds up the change overall within the sector. And, and just building on that point, um, Matt, it would be good to get insight into to Heathrow's approach. To it. Obviously, Heathrow have a very top-down approach to sustainability as a whole. Um, John Holland Kay has been really kind of involved in their sustainability agenda. And it, seems like the center of excellence was they realized that perhaps internally they don't have all the solutions. So they obviously reached out to a few other uh, companies um, and people like yourself to actually deliver innovation. So that's a great example of looking beyond your scope, as we discussed, to try and embed innovations. How, how would you say, how was that successful? How can companies be, a, you know, especially for a sustainability professional where you know, time is of the essence, resources are quite stretched. How can they look out and perhaps reach out to other companies and say, help us with innovation? Uh, it's a good question. So, I mean, I, there are a few things there. One, one is that I think uh, there's a recognition of the cost of inaction. Um, uh, standing still simply isn't an option in modern business. Um, there's also, um, a, as you say, a passion from, from the leadership, from John Holland Kay himself, who, uh, was really inspired by the notion of Heathrow making itself available as an innovation testbed um, because in many cases the uh, questions that are raised around the aviation sector we, we don't we can't have all the answers to certainly not in the immediate term and therefore as I said earlier collaboration is, is absolutely essential 
uh, starting point. So having a vehicle, setting up some kind of initiative which uh, enables you to access um, partnerships and build partnerships and build an innovation ecosystem uh, and, and build, frankly, in some cases, just a conversation about the challenges that are ahead uh, ha has proven to be a really useful tool. Um, the other thing about uh, an organization like Heathrow is, is, is clearly a very large organization. Um, and so um, recognizing the value and importance of innovation, the business also set up an innovation hub, which simply serves to, if you like, network and connect all of the different innovators in different parts of the business. Because you could find a solution, um, for argument's sake, in the, in, in the baggage team or in the security team that is equally applicable to a sustainability outcome and vice versa. And we need to be able to share that and have if you like, a sort of shared resource, um, shared methodology in terms of how we approach innovation challenges. So, so that's been really a very important uh, 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 opportunity for us. And that, that's something that's only really been put in place in the last uh, couple of years. So it's, it's come an opportune moment for the sustainability agenda. And I want to discuss a bit more broadly the, the idea of fear of failure, which can really kind of hinder innovation, at least in my opinion there's there's some big risks associated with with innovation whether it's a small-scale trial whether it's a call to action there's there's numerous examples of a business that said right here's what we're going to do we're going to focus on resource efficiency in this area we're going to focus on solving this issue they launch a few trials a few pilot projects and then everything just goes a bit dark it goes quiet they don't necessarily want to share the fact that it hasn't worked out to the wider public um, that's probably a different conversation about honesty and transparency and fairness but fear of failure um, basically can't happen. I was doing some research around the RE100 companies who signed up to get 100% renewable electricity. And one of the big things once they've made that public commitment is they want to accelerate as quickly as possible. So they'll go to PPA agreements because that's quite a quick win they can do. Innovation is much more longer term, as, as you said, Matt. So there is many kind of processes that will have to be embedded. So um, Pete, in, in your opinion, how, how are you kind of seeing and how the conversation changing with the business you're having around overcoming that fear of failure and viewing innovation as an opportunity rather than something that could go wrong. Yeah, and I think it, I think it all comes down to the, uh, going back to this business case again. I think, I think you've got to tell the truth in it. You've got to put some risk in it. You've not got to be scared to say it didn't work. And actually, if you've got a gate to go through, you've got certain gates to go through in projects. And if it's not working, what can you do? Do you change? Do you ditch it? Do you, move, do you move on to something else? I think there are so many different times when a, a project is going ahead and whether people are just completely wedded to it and therefore it's theirs and therefore they don't want to change and they, there is a plan and you go with it, I think they just inevitably can go the wrong way and therefore be, be a complete failure and then you've lost complete um, backing of your leadership and therefore you will not get, get over the line with the next one. I think it's being honest, open, transparent, and say, yes, this didn't work, but this is the change we're going to make. As with anything that we do, if you, if you make a mistake, you've got to learn by it. And if you can show you that you're learning by it, then fantastic. And I think that's how you start to get your business cases moving forward. Because if you're not honest with yourself, if you're not honest with your leadership team, if you're not honest with your customers, then I think that's when you start to really stall in your overall strategy. So. Honesty, transparency, those are the key things because if you don't do that, then I think you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And uh, Jack, what's your thoughts on that? Obviously, the fashion industry has had a couple of high-profile cases where transparency has 
learned a couple of big name brands, but in terms of spurring innovation, is that, is that a good approach to it? It actually helped the business because some of these big brands are now our customers. So uh, that, that's, but I would say, just to cover on what you've just said, is innovation or becoming innovative. It doesn't come up from having a meeting on Monday morning and saying, we're going to be innovative company now. It doesn't work like that. What Google does, it allows 20% 20, 20 of, the, of the free time uh, to the employees so they can work out on stuff, on different projects. That's how innovation is being born. Failure is actually one of the integral factors of building a new business models. If you think you can build a new models and they're all going to be successful, it basically means you're trying not enough. Because, you know, the, the, I would say majority of the things we try fail but we know they do not work by trying them first. So it's, uh, but eventually the ones which do work, they become the products and they actually, they are tested and they, uh, they can go into market. So I would say failure is, is a massive part of, uh, of, of actually building a, either new models or using innovation as a tool. And this one's a, a question for both uh, Matt and Catherine. And we, during the discussion in yesterday's podcast, we were talking about what business leadership of the future looks like, and it's much more about looking uh, from the outside in. So anything that your business does that's sustainable and successful should, in theory, be able to be repli uh, replicated across the wider industry. So how are your companies going to um, use your approach to innovation and help spur progress across an entire sector rather than just to the benefit for your own company? I'll take it if you like. Um, so I think one of the things about our sector, the sugar sector, is we've all been sharing ideas for a really long time. It, it's, it's not new. But I think for us as um, AB Sugar, we made the choice that we were going to set these commitments for 2030. I don't think there's any other sugar business in the world that's done that. And to a certain extent, we're saying things are going to change and we all need to change in, in that way. And I think you have to have leaders, I think many other people on this panel are in the same position where um, a decision is taken and one business decides they're gonna kind of basically take the first step. And we've done that to a certain extent. Just, just picking up on your leaders of the future piece, you know, with any of these initiatives you have in your business, often it feels that some of the discussions around innovation are top down are happening at a board level or um, are in the senior echelons of the business. When we launched our 2030 commitments, we also launched a challenge fund internally. So anybody, anywhere in the business can come forward, probably a bit like Matt's Hub and say, I've got a great idea. Can I have money to invest in it and trial it and see if there's feasibility in doing that? So two weeks ago, I signed off on the first set of projects. One of the big parts of um, kind of changing the innovation culture in a business is to have the transparency around what where, what's going to go forward and what didn't make the grade this time, but that doesn't mean the idea wasn't really good. It's just not quite what we're trying to do at this point in time, but we'll we come back to it in the future. And I think that ability to have an open dialogue within your business around innovation is also pretty key because they're the innovators of the future and the people who will be the next CEO and the next board leaders. And I think having that is really important, both in your own business, but to take that across your industry and take it outside your industry as well. Matt, any follow-up to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with those comments there. And I think, um, uh, I mean, in, in the aviation space, well, particularly amongst airports, um, I would argue that 
the majority of the sustainability outcomes we're seeking are pre-competitive. So sharing is, is, is the norm. Uh, and uh, I'd like to think a race to the top is, is, is a good thing. So um, we openly share what we're doing and, and with, with, with all of the other majors, all the other hub airports. Um, and also, um, we, there's been a degree of license to, to this sustainable innovation um, agenda, which has been a, a delight to exploit. So for instance, we're looking at um, uh, immersive storytelling uh, uh, with, a, with a project um, with Royal Holloway University, which is um, called Story Futures, which is essentially a collaborative R&D project working with SMEs um, to look at uh, different solutions um, that we can, uh, we can offer the airport as a testbed. And what we're trying there is something um, uh, with, with Costa around um, increasing recycling rates, for instance. Now, there's, there's, if, if that proves to be successful, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't roll that out across the airport and across and share that learning with, with all other airports and frankly, all other transport hubs. Um, and, and it will be our vehicles like our innovation hub that will, which will enable us to understand whether that has been successful, whether there is a business case to be rolled out. So I think that the pre-competitive nature of a lot of what we're trying to achieve is very helpful. Um, so, that, so that's, I think, crucial. And then also, um, I, I agree with Catherine's point about um, the bottom-up approach. I mean, certainly um, some of my colleagues, uh, Krista's here uh, now, who've been working on something called Sustainability Heroes, which is all about precisely that, um, providing a, a fun way for colleagues to submit ideas for improvements in, in, in processes or just to put new ideas into play that we can then take forward. And with so many colleagues, there's a huge amount of passion that's been, um, been stirred up in recent years. Um, and we really must tap into that. It's absolutely essential. Okay, brilliant. And I still have a few more questions. I'm worried a bit pressed for time and that there is uh, an audience in front of us. So I'm actually going to open it up to questions. So if anyone has a question or they just want to get on the podcast, now's your chance, basically. Um, if there is a raise of hands, I will pass you the mic. You can basically say your name, your company. And if you have any questions to ask, now's the time. Thank you. It's uh, Karam from Polymateria. Um, this question is actually for Jack. Um, you said that actually uh, economics is the primary driver uh, of a lot of innovation, a lot of decision making, both internally within organizations and from consumers. Uh, I recently um, was, in, I was in Cape Town on a sustainability forum for uh, looking at marine waste, plastic waste and the marine lifestyle. And one of the things that uh, one of the big multinational companies very point blank said that for them now, sustainability is a cost of doing business. Very clearly, they've highlighted it as not just we're going to make it part of the talk, but actually it's a P&L line item that has to be spent on in order not just to drive or drive business, but actually just to, it's a cost of just maintaining business. So in that sense, how can you um, kind of collect the two to say that it's not just economics then actually the sustainability actually drives the economics I actually think that both can go together because uh, what this company is representing is one of these fear factors so they're not doing it as a major cost you know people do not take a major cost on board of their organizations just for nothing they're doing it because they see that there is a potential threat that if they do not do it now it will actually damage more business so they already put how much we can win and how much we can lose on the weight scale and they work out under the closed door 
let's go into sustainability thing. Even if it costs us money now, we don't want to be dead in five years. So I, I actually, I strongly think there is a business case behind this sort of a case. And the sustainability driving change and the consumers uh, and the media. Yes, it is it's all happening. But like I said, from my experience talking to the CEOs behind closed doors, when they are forced to do it, they will do it. But if, uh, and it doesn't stop one argument from another, because when they, when they also have sustainability initiatives coming on board, very often they, what I'm trying to convince people is like, if you can make a business model which can pay for your sustainability department, then take it to commercials. Because otherwise, you only always come in and begging for money. It's not really a negotiating uh, tactic. You know, you're coming and saying, oh, we need this budget to get into sustainability. I actually think this is not the, this is not the case. But the one which you said, like I said, for me, it's a fear. It's a fear of losing the business. So that's why we're getting into this cost. And do any of the other panelists have any kind of follow-up to that? I mean, Peter, you, you've talked about the business case quite a lot this episode. Yeah, I think it's about, I think it's about, it's great that companies taking that step and saying this is what they're going to be pushing into. I think it's, it's all about really tapping into what can get those, get it moving forward. And if it is cost, then fine. If it is pure sustainability is a key area, as I say, if it's resilience, then great. Tap into that and make sure that it's something that you really focus on because then you're giving the organization something, but you're getting some really great stuff out the back of it. I think your point about sustainability, if you can make something else pay for sustainability, that's great as well. So if you can show some savings that you're making through energy reduction, for example, it changes that payback element and you're taking something that's really tangible to something that's maybe not so tangible and you're allowing that to pay, pay that off. And I think that's really important. So you've got to look at who you're dealing with in the organizations. And if that is an absolute, if that's one of your leaders' main, main criteria and it's sustainability, really drive it forward, then really tag onto that. If it's cost, tag onto that. Whatever you can do to really get this thing moving forward. What, what, do you, what message would you give to a business that is still not convinced, not sold on the purpose and the potential of innovation? What happens to a business that essentially wants to try and stay still um, or just make incremental slow changes in a world where accelerated action is needed. So I want all the panels to ask that. So Catherine, I'll start with you. I really don't think you can stand still in the current environment. I just think that the demands that both our planet, but more importantly, our customers and consumers are putting on us are expecting, and this is not big business. I think it's anybody who's interacting with each other to do more, to, to be part of what the solution is. So standing still, I don't think is an option. And I think um, it's in you know, the way businesses think about themselves. So innovation is something we've all been doing for a very long time, whether it's, as um, other colleagues on the panel have said, whether that's around efficiency or productivity or cost savings, it's there already. So let's bring that to the fore. And, and, and people who work for businesses that are more innovative are probably people who are going to be passionate about those businesses in the future. So they'll take that passion forward and think about what the next big thing is that that business should be doing. I would say that if you look at the FTSE companies and what sort of a FTSE companies you had for so long in like 70s, 80s, 90s, pre pretty much the same companies and how often they are changing now. If you're not innovative, your company might actually not exist in five or 10 years time. It's not really a matter of like, do I feel like doing it? 
it's a matter of survival. Anyone at current technology, at current innovation rate, if they are not waking up paranoid that there is some guy somewhere working on the business model which are going to disrupt my sector, they are just not good leaders. They should be fired or retire. Yeah, I mean, you've got to embrace it. You've got to be organized around it as well. Don't just go scattergun on it. You make sure you have sensible processes in place and really think it through. But you have, if you can have innovation through the core of your organization, you're going to be a better business for it. So I'd be surprised if many business people didn't see innovation as essential to uh, the success of their business. Um, for us, and I think probably for most organizations, thinking about the consumer is the most important thing. Uh, and if we look at passengers um, in our industry, clearly there's a move towards uh, demand for more sustainable air travel. Um, and so the provision of that service is essential. Um, and I think overall, any business could do a lot worse than applying a sustainability lens to every activity that they undertake. Okay, great. Um, I want to thank all four of our podcast guests today. It's been a really insightful chat and I hope our audience has enjoyed it well. So big thank you again to Catherine, to Jack, to Pete and to Matt. And just a reminder for those who are listening at home, uh, all our podcast episodes can be viewed via the ED website, via iTunes and via Spotify. And again, a big thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Mighty Energy. Um, but that's all from me. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.